have this uh, patient that he's 18 years old and he was doing not so well. One day the mother sent me pictures of uh, him destroying the house, taking the furniture and taking them apart, taking the door frame off the door. And uh, she said to me, you know, help, do something. And I said, you know what, why don't we try the cannabis? She thought I'm off the wall. She was like, what are you doing? I said, trust me, why don't we try? And after the first or second week already, she sent me pictures um, of the family sitting down and having dinner. She called me up and she was crying. She says, 18 years we didn't have a family dinner. And this is amazing. This is the Cannabis Enigma, cutting through the smoke to have informed, serious conversations for regular people. I'm Michael Schaefer Omerman. And I'm Alana Goldberg. Hi, Alana. How's it going? Good, Mike. How are you? Good. Still stuck at home. But we have a great episode today. Yeah, I'm really excited for all our listeners to hear this interview. Um, it was actually a while back that we recorded it uh, before, you know, all of this. Uh, global lockdown. Yeah, the global lockdown before this started. This is a conversation that I held with a doctor from Israel, a pediatric neurologist called Orit Stola, um, and she's a specialist in autism spectrum disorder. Um, I spoke to her when we were in Lisbon in Portugal back in February, and uh, fascinating, fascinating story. Let's listen to the interview. I think one of the more interesting parts about this one is also that she has a lot of patients, and she speaks a lot about their experiences and and her journey with them in um, introducing cannabis treatment. Yeah, and I suppose, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm a mother and this is like very much uh, my world and I have young children, but I think what makes these stories um, from Dr. Stoller's work even more compelling is that it's children that she's treating, which means actually she's treating the whole family. Um, and, and the effects uh, have such a trickle, like families, for example, she told us about families that up until they started the, the cannabinoid treatment had never been able to sit down and have a family dinner together. It's a huge difference. Absolutely. So let's listen to the interview with Dr. Stoller. And please remember that if you enjoyed the episode, rate, share and subscribe. It helps other people to find the podcast. And it also means that next time we put out an episode, you'll get a nice notification. Hi, Orit. Thanks for being with me here today. Hi. Thank you for having me. Sure. Um, so when we're talking about uh, children with autism, uh, with autism spectrum disorders, uh, I hear a lot of talk about cannabis treatment and how it relates to the endocannabinoid system. So I would love it if you can start off by explaining what the function of the endocannabinoid system is in uh, ASD. Okay. Uh, first of all, we have to talk about what it is in the whole, in everybody. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's a new, it's, it's an old system that we had in our body, but we just discovered it in the past 20 years or so, right. a little bit longer. Uh, it's an amazing system, I must say, because that system has the ability to basically cause homeostasis, to balance everything in our body. Mm -hmm. It balances our sleep, our eat, our pain reaction, our moods. 
Um, it also has an important role in brain development, which is called pruning. It's the ability to, there's a lot of synapses that happening while the brain is developing, and it's part of the process of deciding what is going to be chopped off and what is going to be left in. Mm. And it has a very important role uh, because otherwise the brain is over wired, which is a problem. It also helps us forget things, uh, which is kind of cool because um, when you go to a place where there is thousands of faces, for example, in a subway, you don't need to remember all this data. This is a data that is irrelevant and it's not important. So it's like a control alt delete that you do on your computer and you like download that, that information because it doesn't help you for anything. It's the same thing as remembering the number of the room you're staying in in an hotel. It doesn't help you for anything. And you would see children with autism that suddenly when you talk to them, they remember all those very useless data right. like they would say to me oh i went to this in this hotel and i stayed in room 531 and you say to yourself why do you have to tell me this and why do you remember this mm-hmm. and then you ask when was this trip and they say like 10 years ago wow. and you say to yourself why they need to remember that information nobody ever showed any relationship between those two things and that's one of the things that i really want to to show that mm-hmm. maybe there is a relationship between the system and the memories of all those details. Right. Uh, the other things that we see is a lot of parents report the kid um, has sleep problems. Mm-hmm. They either have a hard time falling asleep or staying asleep. And we know that there's a lot of things that influence if we sleep or not, but the, endocrine, the endocannabinoid system is part of it. So mm-hmm. maybe that's the cause, at least in some of the kids. Uh, temperature is a very interesting thing. There are page parents who swear that their kids' uh, communication abilities improve when they have fever. And uh. they ask me once, I have a few parents who, who come to me and say, can you always have my child have 38 degrees, you know, uh, fever? And, and I always ask them why. They say, oh, when they are sick, they are the cutest, the nicest, the most communicative ever. Uh. So maybe that's related to that. We never were able to explain that relationship. Um, the ability um, to to balance our mood, like reaction. Mm-hmm. We know that some kids respond in a very... Um, I, I believe that ch- children are good, and children with autism are definitely not dangerous or, or mean. Or this, but sometimes their response is with a violence, mm-hmm. but it's not because there's intention, but they're scared of something. Um, I'll give an example of another amazing thing of this system. This system can study. It, it learns. It improves. So, for example, if you hear a very loud noise, your first reaction is to, oh, you, you, you stuttered. Right. What happened in your body, the cortisol level is going up, and, but some also endocannabinoid is being released. The second time you hear that noise, the balance, the amount of cortisol that is going up is a little bit lower, and the endocannabinoid system is sending more signs, more signals, and releases more anandamides to balance it. And the third time, you don't even hear it almost. You just hear the Mm. sound, and it just goes by you. And probably part of the reason is that the cortisol level is going lower, and the endocannabinoid is going higher. So again, it's kind of balancing. Homeostasis is our word here. So if you think about a child with autism, many times you'll see them doing this all the time. Every time they hear a noise, it's like they're not learning. There's no process. Maybe it's a system that is having a problem and therefore... But this is all theories because nothing was proved yet. Right. Okay, there's many things you just covered there that I want to go back on. So first of all, for our listeners that can't 
actually see you and can only hear you when you say doing this. Um, can you explain the kind of behaviors that you're seeing in children? Uh, they put their hands on their ears right. uh, as they hear very, very loud noise um, as a response to uh, crowded places, to sudden noises and so on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, all right. And, and going back to what you were saying before about memory. Um, so you mentioned that in, in uh, children with autism, often they're retaining all of this information um, that they don't need to retain. What's the downside of that? Like, what does that affect the fact that these memories weren't deleted or erased um, as they should have been? I think they're occupied, their, mm. their, their thoughts, they are constantly repeating Uh, that information and it's basically uh, not allowing them to be um, free to communicate with mm-hmm. us or to be in interaction because it's like same thing as if you have something that bothers you mm-hmm. um, you have to I don't know to do laundry and <laughs> and you're always thinking about oh I have to get the laundry out I have to get the laundry out you know it's like it's always there mm-hmm. so if all your life there is always those noises and those thoughts that are there mm-hmm. uh, it's overloaded and you I think it affects the Your, your freedom to communicate. Mm-hmm. And have you been able to see in your kind of moving away from the ACS, I suppose, into your clinical practice, have you been able to see situations where less of that uh, unnecessary information is retained and so therefore the patient is calmer? What we see, what I do these days, uh, I'm not talking about the medical cannabis, but on my more conventional practice, sure. uh, when I have a kid, for example, who have very high anxiety, I can give him medication, like I would give him SSRIs that will decrease the anxiety or the obsession, those mm-hmm. repetitive thoughts. And by doing so, the, the kids become more communicative. Right. There is very, there's very good papers, for example, on risperidone. That mm-hmm. is the only basic, this and our reply, um, are the two drugs that were approved by the FDA for specifically for autism. Okay. They are the only one. And in, when you look at those studies, they talk about risperidone and they say, oh, it increases the, the kid's IQ in some cases. I don't believe it's true. I right. think what it does, it lowers their, uh, their stuff, the self-stimulation, the stereotypical movement, the restlessness, and therefore they're more free to show us uh, what they know. And, mm-hmm. and then, therefore, they will perform better on those tests. It's not like it increases their IQ. Right. So I think that if I will lower, I can control a little bit those memories and make it more, make sense out of it a little mm-hmm. bit, there will be more, it will be easier for them to communicate and show us what they know. Right. Makes sense. Um, so let's talk about cannabis treatment. Uh, what are you seeing? What's working? What do we know? We don't know anything. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. No. Okay, so why don't we start with what don't we know? <laughs> okay, what we do know. We know, we, uh, first of all, I must say that everything we know is only from the last, the past two years. Right. So it's new. It's like a child who just, you just stand up and start doing his first steps. Yeah. Uh, we, we have to be very careful and modest about what we claim that it does. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely, what I can say for sure, first of all, I can say that I don't know enough. Second, I can say for sure that it's not a magic treatment for everybody. It doesn't cure autism. It doesn't work for everybody. And even the people that it helps, it's, there is a lot of problem with it. It's not constant. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. And I have more questions than you even can imagine. <laughs> But um, I can give you the data that we have as of today. Mm-hmm. We know a few things. We know that children with autism have... statistically in two studies that were published, have lower level of anandamides, which is the endocannabinoids that the body produce. Yep. And then if you have lower level, it makes sense 
that you have to give it. It's the same thing as if you have you have low level of growth hormone, then you give growth hormone. If you don't have insulin, you give insulin. Right. So if you don't have anandamides, you should give anandamides. Mm-hmm. We don't have anandamides yet, so maybe the way to give it is through the medical cannabis. Mm-hmm. The second thing we know is that when you look at um, people who died uh, and you look at their people with autism that died and you look at their brains as part of the postmortem uh, investigation or studies, whatever you say the word, I forgot, um, you see that they have less receptors for CB1 receptors that are the receptors for the endocannabinoid system. So that also raises a question, maybe there is something wrong a dysfunction in that system mm-hmm. in children with autism or people with autism. And we also know that oxytocin, which is uh, the, the love hormone, the one yeah. who helps us balance uh, interaction, social interaction, love, and so on, and make us feel good, also is related to this system. So there is all kind of clues on the way that kind of make it reasonable to believe that medical cannabis can help. What we know about studies, as of now, there are a few studies that are based on a parent's report. Mm-hmm. There is one. There is a big problem because in medicine, um, in our world, we sh- usually we start with animal models and then we go to people. But what happened with cannabis is the people are taking it and now I'm studying it and I'm making animal models right. to study it. So the pyramid is ups and down. So when we ask parents what they know and what it helps them f- with, uh, we got some interesting data from that. I'm not the only one who published a paper like this. There were a few others. And what we see is that parents report that it helps in hyperactivity, it helps in anxiety in some cases, it helps in sleep problems, and mainly in rage attacks and self-injury and so on. There are a few papers, similar results. The numbers are not so important. Those papers have problems because they're based on parents' report. And parents want their kid to to do well. And when they are brave to give medical cannabis, they really want it to succeed. So the placebo effect is probably very high. But I must say that I believe that some of this report, it is right. So we, we need to figure it out. Uh, there is a study that was done, um, the first medical clinical study was done in Jerusalem by uh, Dr. Adiaran, mm-hmm. and he didn't publish yet his results, but uh, he's a friend of mine, and uh, I know that he got uh, nice results uh, there that show that it helps. I must say also that he also reports a very high placebo effect. Right. Um, so, so we'll see. And I just started a study that hopefully next time we meet, I will be able to tell you what I found out. Mm-hmm. But what we are doing is basically we're taking the children with autism that have severe comorbidities, meaning rage attacks, anxiety, restlessness. And we do a full evaluation before. We check their severity of the autism. We check their cognition abilities. We do EEG to all of them. We do blood work. We do sensors under their mattresses. And then we give them and a lot of questionnaires, standard questionnaires. And then we give them the cannabis. Um, if we talk about cannabis, there's another problem with it. Um, we know that when you give a bottle of cannabis, of medical cannabis, it's not for sure that you're giving the second bottle will be exactly the same. Right, of course. And then we are in a mess because that's what's happening in my clinic. A family starts and say, wow, this really, really helped my child. And then the next month they said, oh, my God, it's got really, really bad. And I don't know if it's got bad or is it the bottle that is changing. So 
in my study, I'm making sure that they get this, the first bottle and the last bottle will be the same. Mm-hmm. I'm taking samples. I send it to independent lab to make sure that really it's, um, it's as, as stable as possible. I'm sure it won't be stable 100%, but at least to a certain extent. So there's a lot of problems when you talk about can- medical cannabis because the question is what you're giving exactly. When you say medical cannabis, what do you mean? It's like saying I'm giving medicine. Right. What kind of medicine? Are you giving norfen? Are you giving Tylenol? Those are very different drugs. Yeah. So the, both will reduce your fever, but they are working on a very different mechanism. And when you give cannabis, we need to do some standardization to, um, to make sure that um, people get the same exact, as much as possible, mm-hmm. they can get there, the same exact uh, medicine or treatment. Right. And what are you expecting to, to find or, or hoping to find, I suppose, from this study in terms of the, uh, the reports from the parents? Oh, what I want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to get, there's a few things that I really would love to see. I would love to see that um, the kids that have lower level of anandamide and the 2AG, the endocannabinoids, right. uh, will react in a specific way that I can later on in life, when the study will be over, it will be really nice if I can predict who are the kids who can benefit from medical cannabis. Mm-hmm. And if I will be able to show that the kids who have lower level of, of whatever in that system, specific thing, it will benefit from a specific treatment, that will be a really a, a nice contribution, mainly to myself because I'm frustrated more the, in front of the parents because I don't know what to tell them. Right. So, but it will be really nice. Uh, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Second, I would like to to be able to define better who can who is the one that are benefiting from it, and really what does it do? It has side effects, by the way. We know of some of them that are reported, but none are seem to be a really a severe. And most of the things that people report, like somnolence, change in appetite and weight, are things that are reversible. Mm-hmm. So I hope that we will stay in that ball game because my study is longer than all the other studies that were the only one study clinical study that was done mm-hmm. uh, they did only three months and I'm doing six months so okay. I hope to see that really it's stable for the whole period mm-hmm. um, what's the split in the study of uh, low functioning and high functioning children it's interesting because initially when we started the process I insisted to take in only the low functioning children with autism mm-hmm. The process to get uh, the permit to do all the paperwork, to get the license to do the study, took almost two years. Um, In that time, I uh, start seeing in my clinic patients that are high-functioning who are getting cannabis, and I said, it doesn't make sense anymore to limit it to only the Mm low-function. So now I'm taking in kids low and high-function, doesn't matter, but mainly what's important to me is that they have severe comorbidities, mm-hmm. that the comorbidities is the one who affect their quality of life. Right. And I would like to hope that medical cannabis will improve that. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, this is an assumption. Um, I wonder if you can tell me if this is right, that, that that would be more common amongst the lower functioning children, the comorbidities. Um, no, that's not a true statement. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people believe that, mm-hmm. but I don't believe it's true. I see a lot of kids that are high functioning and the anxiety is basically mm. ruining, for example, their life because yeah, the anxiety is managing themselves instead of they managing their anxiety. Sure. So, so it's not always true. 
However, rage attacks and self-injury uh, is more common a lot of times in the low functioning, although that's not even a correct sentence either because mm-hmm. they are high functioning that are so frustrated they cannot communicate it so they will bite their hands or bang their head. Um, so there is no rules. You see right. one child with autism, you saw only one. The next yeah. one will look very different. Right. I mean, it's a spectrum. It is a spectrum. Yeah. So we're talking all the time about children with autism. What about adults? I'm a pediatrician. <laughs> I'm a pediatric neurologist, right. so I can talk about them. I don't see a lot of adults, mm-hmm. uh, but the studies, there's no studies on them. Right. That's the next stage. Uh, the truth is that I took in, this, in, in my study up to the age of 25, so I'll have young adults a little bit, but I don't know much about cannabis and older adults. Mm-hmm. Back to the study again. Uh, what formulation are you using? Uh, we are giving 20 to 1 of CBD to THC. Um, the reason is, 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 like I was asking myself why I'm giving this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have a good answer. <laughs> uh, I will say this. Traditionally, it started um, because that's what was available. Mm-hmm. You couldn't get in Israel CB, pure CBD initially, mm-hmm. and that's what they were using. Uh, and... In the market in Israel, that's the most available format that you can get. Mm-hmm. It's harder to get pure CBD. Uh, now, on a different level, in the clinic, the few patients that, for example, have epilepsy and get pure CBD, like get Epidiolex or CBD, I see less improvement. I think that you need a little bit of the THC, and it makes sense uh, physiologically that to have a little bit of THC, but I'm terrified because the THC is my enemy. I'm scared of it, especially when you talk about kids. THC theoretically can affect their cognition, their brain development. He's the one who's responsible for most of the pruning that we talked about initially at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So um, he is more, can cause a psychotic effect, attack. So I'm afraid of it, but a little bit I think is safe. Mm-hmm. I must say one second and say one more thing. Sure. Um, when you talk about children with autism and medical cannabis, in my study, I'm giving only 20 to 1. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two growers that are giving me uh, the oil, mm-hmm. um, but they get each kid gets the same oil for the whole period of time. But in my clinic... Uh, sometimes when the 20 to 1 doesn't work or doesn't work as well or in the morning it works and at night it doesn't, I sometimes go to a higher concentration of THC. Mm-hmm. Like I would give like 15 to 3 or whatever or 5 to 1. Um, so, so I can switch. But in the study, we're doing only 20 to 1. That's sure. the only thing I'm checking. And you've seen positive results with that switch in, the, in your clinical practice? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes it's wonderful at the beginning. I have this uh, patient that was I, he's 18 years old and he was doing um, not so well. The truth is he was on risperidone and one day the mother sent me pictures of uh, him destroying the house, basically taking the furniture and taking them apart, taking the door um, frame off the door and uh, she said to me you know help and she says increase the risperidone do something and I said you know what why don't we try the cannabis she thought I'm off the wall she was like what are you doing I said trust me why don't we try and after the first or second week already she sent me pictures um, of the family sitting down and having dinner 
And uh, she called me up and she was crying. She says, 18 years we didn't have a family dinner. And this is amazing. So it was wow, really wow. And his brother took him to, to run this little marathon. And he, the whole family function was improving and the quality of life of everybody was amazing. But the story is not such a happy story all the time because after a few months, I think it was about six months of this honeymoon, things start to get sour and it didn't work as much. And I start changing the medic, you know, the cannabis and I tried trying this, this, that. Now he's not taking anything. We took a break. We said that we are stopping because it's not working. And I'll try again in like mm-hmm. in a month or so. Uh, we'll try something different. So we, we, we had this wonderful six months. But, you know, sometimes, as the mother said, you, I left with that taste that it can happen. Right. And now it's not working. So it works. And it should be part of my arsenal of treatments that I'm offering patients. But I need more data. I need more research. I need to understand better. I need to, to learn why it works and why it stopped working. I have so many questions. Um, it sounds like, uh, you know, obviously you're treating uh, children with ASD, but a lot of your work, uh, you say you don't see adults, but you have a lot of parents in your clinic. How do they respond to this uh, idea of giving medical cannabis as a treatment to their children? The one who come to me, they want it. Mm. <laughs> so they already know. They are. So I, I'm, in the other, I'm on the opposite side. It's, mm-hmm. it's a trend, you know, and people believe that it's ma- magical. There is a lot of mist out there. It's funny because a lot of time people say, oh, I don't want any medications, but just medical cannabis because it's natural. And I would say natural is not always safe. You know, we have some samples, like, for example, if you opioids is also a plant and it's, it's not so safe. Right. So nothing that not all the things that are natural are safe and we have to be careful. Another thing, it's not for everybody. I have um, I had this patient came with a two year old. And they yelled at me that they wanted me to give them cannabis. And I said, I'm not giving a two-year-old cannabis. I think it's, it's, it's malpractice. I, also three, I think it's too young. I wouldn't give anybody under five, definitely not. Five, it's very, still not comfortable for me. The brain is developing in right. a very high rate. I'm not feeling comfortable that it doesn't cause any harm uh, to give it. So the people who come, and they usually want the cannabis. Mm-hmm. I have few patients that I offered, and some of them didn't want it. They said, you do your studies on other kids and then let us know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was only a few years ago that you thought that the idea of uh, treating children with cannabis was a crazy idea too, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. I was the, pe- the four years ago. It's not so long ago. Right. A patient would come in and say, oh, doctor, what do you think about cannabis? I would say, oh, you off the wall. This is a dangerous drug. It's illegal. Go, for, you know, right. so get what off happened? this boat. What changed your mind? Um, oh, one kid, <laughs> like always. That one child that used to walk into my clinic and always renovate it every time he came to visit me <laughs> that I had to, after he left, to redecorate it. Um, he came and he sat down in the chair and I was very sure it's not something I did. So I asked the mother, what did you do? And she quietly said, you know, I'm giving him cannabis. So I said, wow. What? She says, yes. I said, okay. So that was the night that I stayed up and I looked for data and I couldn't find anything, none, no article. I went into PubMed, I went into Google, nothing was reported. And it was only four or five years ago. 
Uh, and then I turned into uh, to look for help. So I went to my partner, a good friend of mine, one of the best doctors I know, uh, Professor Mati Berkovich mm-hmm. uh, from Asaf Rofe, or now we call Shamir Hospital. He's a pediatrician. He's not specializing in autism, but he's a, a pharmacologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I went to him and said, you know, Mati, what do you know about cannabis? He said, I don't know how much. So I said, come, we are on the boat together now. And we're starting this journey. And I must say that it's lovely. It's He's amazing, and we are finding our way through this thing. And it's challenging because there's a lot of money in it mm-hmm. and a lot of business people. I'm not used to it. I'm a doctor. I'm, you know, I work usually with patients and with labs and stuff like that. And suddenly we start having all those companies coming to us and asking all those information and want to do business. And uh, it's a challenge to always um, – it's not so hard because we both – Professor Berkovich and I are very much the same, and we always stay focused. Mm-hmm. We say, okay, we don't care about the money. We want to get answers. Right. So um, it's it's an interesting journey. It's fun. Really fascinating. Thank so you. please be in touch with us when you get the results of this I study. Will. We'll do another interview. Okay. Um, we'd love to hear about how it all went, and thank it you so much for joining to me today. Thank yep. you. I'm Michael Schaefer Omerman. This episode was edited and mixed by myself, produced by myself, Alana Goldberg, and Matan Whale. And Dr. Stoller wanted us to make sure and give credit to her colleagues working on the study. Dr. Dedi Meiri, who's analyzing the blood, Professor Ilan Dinstein of Ben Gurion University, and his team who are doing the sleep analysis and EEG, and her team at the Safa Rafe for everything. See you in a couple weeks.